Amen. Good morning. Um, let me be the first to wish you, and if I'm not the first, I'm going to wish it to you anyway. Happy Labor Day weekend. Um, today is September the 4th, and this is Labor Day weekend, and I am looking forward to that extra day of rest. Can anybody else agree with me that that extra day of rest is going to feel so good tomorrow to sleep in and just relax? And some of you may be planning to do some yard work, some labor on Labor Day. I'm not. Um, there, there will be nothing done on my end. I will be relaxing and having a nice day of rest. Um, so with that being said, Joseph texted me. Um, we had a phone conversation about uh, him asking me to preach this morning. And I responded to him in this way. I said, you are asking me to preach for you without having hear me speak before. <laughs> and... I'm just making sure that we're on the same page. And he texted me back and he said, that is called faith, my brother. And I said, okay, all right, no worries. Um, I, I will do my best. I will, I will do that. Um, so with praying and seeking the Lord's counsel and guidance as to what I was supposed to bring before you all this morning, I kept getting the feeling on my heart and in my head I couldn't get out the fact of faith and labor, faith and labor, faith and labor. And the Lord led me to this passage in James. We're going to be in James chapter 2 this morning. Um, if you would go ahead and open your Bibles or open your Bible app and uh, go there. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to be talking about faith and works this morning. Now, um, there are two scenarios in Scripture that talk about faith and works. Um, the first is written by Paul in Ephesians. We're going to look at that later, but one, uh, one set is written by Paul and the other set is written by James. And now when people look at Scripture and they, they look to prove that Scripture is not true, it's not accurate, they will pull sometimes this reference of Paul's citing of what faith and work should look like and what James' sight of faith and work should look like. But what we're going to see today is that while both of them are different, both of them their context is different, therefore they do not um, go against each other, but rather they go with each other. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So the first thing um, that we're going to look at this morning um, is verse 14, and we're going to see that good deeds don't go to heaven. Now I know for some of you that first point is going to shock you and be like, oh my gosh, what is he saying? Just bear with me, you'll understand here in a minute. So in verse 14 we see... What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? And so what James is talking here about good deeds, and these good deeds would include something along the lines of what you would do in your everyday Christian life and your walk with Christ as you go every day. And so these would include reading your Bible, praying for others, coming to church, singing praise songs, listening to the message, tithing, and all the other good things that we as Christians do that make us feel comfortable. Okay, But while these are things that we should be doing, and yes, as Christians, we should be reading our Bibles every day. We should be attending church. We should be tithing. We should be listening to the message. We should be singing praise to our Almighty God. While these things are things that we should be doing, they do not earn our way to heaven. And the reason for this is because we, of ourselves, because of our sinful nature, you know, on Wednesday nights, 
uh, for the students, we're talking about what is. It's this series that we're going through, kind of establishing the biblical foundation that we're going to build upon. And so Wednesday night, we talked about what is sin. And so we have, as humans, we have a sin nature because of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. And so this sinful nature does not allow us to earn our way to heaven. We are now separated from God because of our sin. That's why Jesus had to come and die. So, because of our salvation, we have a way to heaven. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9, through 9, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So here, and this is where the, the context gets different, okay? Paul is saying that there is no one and no one way that can work to earn a person their faith, okay, or their salvation. However, salvation is God's gift given to us through His grace. So if we look at verse 10, Paul continues and he says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We are created to do the things that God has uh, prepared for us to do. We are all placed on earth at this specific time for a specific purpose that God has prepared for us to do. It is our job as Christians to fulfill this purpose. And see, the difference between Paul and James here is that Paul's concern is works and justification in front of an almighty God. No one can work to save themselves in front of God. It is faith in the salvation and the grace of Jesus coming and dying on the cross that gives us a way to stand before Almighty God. That is our justification. But in the sight of man, and this is where James is coming from, James' concern is justification in front of our fellow man. And so what we see here is that um, James is dealing with people who make a profession of faith, not um, a, a profession of faith, but not demonstrating it. Our works should be the fruit of our faith. I'm going to say that again. Our works should be the fruit of our faith. It is the evidence that we see in the lives of other Christians that we have a definitive faith in Christ. This fruit is tangible. Now, a lot of times doing, doing works, it's not tangible. We can't get our hands on it. But when we see others, other believers doing things and demonstrating that their faith, this is the knowledge that we possess that we can understand that their faith is genuine. Moving on, we see number two, actions speak louder than words. How many of you have heard this all of your life? Your actions speak louder than your words. I heard this so much when I was a kid. Your actions speak louder than your words. And that is what James is referring to here. In James chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. James here is emphasizing the drastic need of this believer. So this person that is without clothes, without food, without warmth, anything, is a fellow believer. Okay? It is someone that this person would come up and say, go in peace, be warm, 
Stay well fed because you have faith you will be taken care of. But that's the complete opposite of what James is trying to emphasize here. Just because you have faith doesn't mean that anything is going to be accomplished. This person is someone that is already a a part of the body of Christ and he is desperate. He's without a home, he's without food, and he's without clothing. Yet this other person comes up to him and says, don't worry, God will provide. And while yes, God does provide, it is wrong for that other believer to come up to him and say, don't worry, and then not offer any help. And so here James is making a distinction between a faith that is dead and a faith that is alive. And so the difference here is that when uh, when there's a faith that is alive, that faith is going to be doing the things that God has purposed for them to do. When you walk down the street and you see someone that has a, a homeless sign, I'm homeless, need food, need water, anything like that. As a Christian... And as someone who has faith, our job should be to provide a need that they have. Now, we all know that sometimes those people that are on the side of the road do not necessarily tell the truth all the time. But we have to take it on faith, on our faith, that when we provide a need, that is what they really need. And that is doing the works that God has called us to do. Faith, not accompanied by action, is dead. Action is the proper fruit of living faith. Martin Luther said this, Justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. The faith that justifies is a living faith, a faith that is alive. You know it is alive when it manifests itself in the fruit of of obedience, And that fruit of obedience is doing what God has called us to do. Taking care of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but also taking care of those who are around us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story, okay? So there was this young boy, and um, he went to the supermarket to get eggs for his parents. Now, the young boy only had enough money to get the dozen eggs. He didn't have anything else to get anything else Only that set of eggs. Now, how many of you know that eggs are extremely fragile? Eggs are extremely fragile. You will get to the store, you'll go to the the door or wherever it's set, you'll open up that carton of eggs and you'll look at it and you'll inspect them very closely. Maybe even pull one out, look at it, put it back and be like, okay, these are good. Close it and put it in your shopping cart. Then we go and we put them in a bag and we get home. And somehow along the way, That basket of eggs got bumped, tapped, tossed upside down. Something happened that you were not expecting, and it was just the lightest little tap on that carton. And then you get home, and you open it, and all the eggs are cracked. You know, eggs are very, very fragile. So what ends up happening with this boy is he he gets the carton of eggs, he goes to the cash register, he pays for the eggs, the exact amount, he has it, he hands it to the clerk, and then he begins to walk out. And what ends up what, what happens is this boy is such in, in such a hurry to get back to his house that he trips on the threshold of the door. And he tumbles out into the sidewalk, and there the eggs go splat all over the sidewalk. Now, if you've ever fallen in public before, you'll know that normally when you fall and make a fool of yourself, a crowd of people will gather around you and one, make sure you're okay, and then two, laugh. 
And normally it's your friends, you know, they're like, I'll check to see if you're okay first, but then I'm going to laugh at you because it's just hilarious. So this young boy trips and a swarm of people from the sidewalk gather around him and ask him, make sure he's okay. Or, I'm so sorry about the eggs. Or, Are you okay? All this. And then this one man comes cutting through the crowd, pushing people out of the way, bends down to the boy and hands him a quarter. And then he gets up and looks at the rest of the crowd and says, I care 25 cents worth. What about the rest of you? And so here in James chapter 2, verses 16, James is doing the same emphasis. He points out that words are words when we say, I'm sorry, or go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. Our words do not mean anything unless our actions and our works back up what we say. And so that is James' point here. John records in 1 John 3.17, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Here John is saying that if someone withholds the things that a person needs, how do they have the love of God in them? And it's kind of contradictory here. Like if we're saved, we know we have the love of God inside of us, but yet we choose to not give them what they need. And so John is trying to convey that when we see someone in need as a believer, we should try to do everything that we can to help them, just like Christ helped those who needed him. I remember a very, very good story in Scripture um, when Jesus was doing his ministry. He was walking through a multitude of people, and this woman who needed healing thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And so she made her way. She pursued him through the crowd and ultimately made it to where she touched, Scripture says, the hem of his garment. And instantly, Jesus stopped what he was doing. He stopped walking through the crowd. And he turned around and he looked to his disciples and he said, who touched me? He knew that someone had touched him. And his goal at that point was to try and find the person that had touched him. And when he found her, all he said was, your faith today has made you healed. Jesus helped everyone that he came into contact with. Whether that was a physical need or a spiritual need, Jesus provided help. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 25. Oh, went too far. I forgot I don't have that on the screen. Um, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. I'm going to read them. It says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, or, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. James is trying to show us here it is, is that good works performed by believers aren't the basis of salvation. They're, they're not the foundation of it. Rather, they should be understood as the necessary evidence 
of salvation. In verses 18 through 19 in James chapter 2, we see that faith and works go hand in hand. It says here, But some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Faith and works go hand in hand. Our works define our inner faith. And see, the implication is that faith cannot be demonstrated apart from action. Um, Faith is the attitude of the inner man. When we talk about that inner man, we're talking about our heart and we're talking about our spirit. That's what we're talking about when it says the inner man. It can only be seen as it influences the actions of one who possesses it. Mere profession of faith proves nothing as to its reality. Only action can demonstrate faith's genuineness. This is why James declares, I will show you my faith by my works. I want you to think about this. What is in the heart comes out in the life. What is in your heart comes out in your life. And to demonstrate this, I have this jar that is partially filled with water here and has ping pong balls in it. Okay. Now, this jar represents your heart. Okay. And the ping pong balls represent things that you would place in your heart. Okay, so let's say this ping pong ball counts as anger, this ping pong ball counts as hatred, this ping pong ball counts as lust, this ping pong ball counts as maybe a little bit of joy. Okay, but we see we put all that emotion and all of those feelings into our heart. Now, this jug of water represents life, okay, and this life is the life that we go through on a daily basis as we leave our house, go to our job, everything. This life constantly flows through us because we are constantly living life. And as life goes and as life flows, it slowly pushes out. And everything that we keep in our heart finds its way out into our daily life until we reach overflow. And so all of those emotions that you tried to keep in your heart or tried to hide from others, eventually, because you've shoved them down so much, they eventually bubble to the top and are exposed themselves to everyone around you. Everything that is in the heart comes out in the life. And what James is illustrating here is that a person says, I keep my faith to myself. I don't wear my beliefs on my sleeve. But James challenges those with a passive and ineffective faith by saying a genuine faith must display itself. Faith and works should travel side by side like two, two legs walking. When you walk, you don't even think about it. You walk your right foot in front of your left, your right foot in front of your left, and you keep doing that as you walk. And that is what James is trying to illustrate here. The, the faith should be first followed by the works, followed by faith, then followed by works again until there can be a scarce distinction between faith and works. And in verse 19, James references this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is referenced to as the Shema. This passage of Scripture was written to the Israelites, and James would have understood that. He would have known the context of this scripture. 
because it was um, written to them to teach them and their children to signify and remember that they serve and worship only one God. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so what James was trying to say here is that the issue is that just acknowledging who God is and just acknowledging um, and having a knowledge of Scripture is not enough because even the demons have a knowledge of who God is. Even the demons and Satan have a knowledge of Scripture. And yet, they still believe. That is what James is trying to convey to us this morning. And fourthly this morning, we see that we are justified by faith and works. We are justified by faith and works. And we can see this in verses 20 through 26. It says, Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And so what James is trying to say here is he is showing that Abraham proved his faith by his works. Let's, let's reference that story for a minute. Abraham was promised by God to, have, uh, to be the father of a great nation. In order to do that, Abraham had to have a son, an heir, but he didn't. God was faithful and provided him Isaac. And during the time of this story, Isaac is about eight, ten years old. And God challenges Isaac or Abraham to sacrifice his only son to God as a sign of Abraham's faithfulness to him. And now you might be thinking, this is, why would God do this? Why would God have Abraham sacrifice Isaac, his only son, as a test? Why, why is this the case? We see later the reason why. So therefore, Abraham gathers Isaac, he gathers two servants, he gathers everything that they'll need to build an altar and make the sacrifice, and they travel to the mountain. At the base of the mountain, Isaac and Abraham are the only ones that go up. And on their way up, uh, imagine this. This eight, ten-year-old boy is carrying wood, he's carrying rope, but there's no animal with them. Okay? Now, sacrifice was a common practice in the Old Testament because that was the way that they justified their sins. They offered up a sacrifice to God, and if you read Leviticus, there are different animals for different sacrifices for different sins. But there was no animal with them to sacrifice. And so as Isaac's sitting here, bobbing along, climbing up the mountain with his dad, he looks over to his dad and says, where's the sacrifice? What animal are we going to sacrifice? And Abraham says this, God will provide. And so they make it up to the top of the mountain where it's time to be, where the sacrifice is going to be. Abraham builds the altar. He places the wood on top of the altar, and then he takes the rope and starts to bind Isaac. Now, my, my dad was here the first service, and I said this the first service, but 
if, if my dad started doing that and, and, and we were in that situation, I would have screamed, yelled, jumped, ran away, um, ultimately would have probably punched my father um, if he tried to tie me up and sacrifice me, right? Because that's not the way that it was supposed to work. There was supposed to be an animal that was there. But we don't see this in the account that's written in Genesis. Isaac didn't struggle, didn't cause any issues between him and his father. He just let his father bind him and place him on the altar. And in the midst of Abraham raising the knife with tears flowing down his face to sacrifice his one and only son, notice that, one and only son, he goes and he commits, he starts to drop the knife, and an angel grabs his arm and pulls him back. And then, because he is justified, because his works, his actions demonstrated that he had faith in God, he obeyed what God had told him to do, his works justified his faith. It showed the fruit of his faith. And then, what happens is God provides a ram caught in a thicket to atone for the sins for the sacrifice. James makes it clear that he is not talking about works as the source of Abraham's justification. If we take verse 21 out of context, this might lead one to believe um, that, that it was his works and, his, and only his faith that justified him. But instead, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. His faith combined with his actions is the evidence of Abraham's faith. Faith and works are inseparable. Luke records in chapter 7, verse 35, it says here, Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. The word vindicate, the definition for the word vindicate, means to show or prove to be right, reasonable, or justified. R.C. Sproul, who is a very, very smart man, he's a lot smarter than I am, he is a theologian and he is a professor, or was a professor, at a theological seminary. He said this about this verse. Obviously, in that particular statement, the word that is used here does not mean that wisdom is reconciled to a holy God with an imputed righteousness that wisdom gains by having babies. No, it is simply showing that that which is a claim to be wisdom is shown to be true wisdom by its fruit. James is urging us as believers that if we claim to have faith, that we must also demonstrate that faith by our works. I want you to watch this short little video real quick. Produces fruit, the fruit of good works. And so 
you know a person's been saved because of their fruit, but the fruit is not the reason they're saved. They're saved by God, by grace, through faith in Christ. And so what James is urging us here, and the main idea of this passage of Scripture, is that as a follower of Christ, you are called to do more. Your faith calls you to do more than just the, the comfortable things that we as Christians do on a daily basis. We are called to action. We are called to fulfill the purpose that God has placed us here to do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us to come into your house and worship you. Lord, thank you for the rain that we received last night and that we will receive today. Lord, I thank you for the word that has been spoken this morning. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we have faith in you and that our faith can prove through our works the evidence of our belief and our trust in you. I pray that as we go this week that you will show us and shape us into those Uh, into that person that you would have us to be this week and minister to those that you would have us to minister to and allow our works to be the fruit and the evidence of our faith. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.